and it's been a while um, since I've been back. I've been spending a lot of time at, um, can I move up? Is that okay? Um, I've been at, at uh, in Lawrence at Baker University and at University of Kansas, spending a lot of time there. And it's been a uh, interesting experience um, at KU nonetheless. I like the people at K-State a little bit more maybe. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't say that. Um, but it's, uh, it's good to be back here. Um, I know you guys have been on a, a, a great series, and I'm going to try to see if I can just add a little bit to that uh, after uh, what Pastor Jonathan shared last week. Um, so uh, I think what I, what I think from what I gathered from the message after listening to it, um, I think he, John, Pastor Jonathan told us about how the original deception and propaganda started in Genesis 3. And he showed us how evil tends to invade everything, people, and even institutions. And I think he taught, told us that to push back against evil, we must know the real stuff, like the real truth. And, um, the story I think he mentioned about how when government officials are trying to figure out whether uh, currency is counterfeit, they teach the agents, they tell them, hey, study real currency. Because if you do that and you study it very closely, you can see when there's fake, uh, when there's fake currency. And so, you know, because they're, they're trained on what is real, so it's easy to see the fake stuff, right? So as followers of Jesus, if we want to expose the enemy's lies, we need to know his truth. You know, we need to understand the Bible and how it applied to every area of li- how it applies to every area of life. So that we, when we hear people say stuff that is not true or deceptive or even like Pastor Jonathan said, pop propaganda, we're ready to call it out for what it is. OK, and so we need to know these things. So I'm going to try to build off that. Um, but this morning, I, I, I kind of want to give examples of people who had courage to push back. Um, to expose lies, deception, and propaganda. You know, we, we know that they're out there, that stuff is out there, but we need to have the, we need to, man, what? I need courage to actually call it out. You know, I, I'm sure many of us have been in a room, or maybe you're talking to three or four people, and somebody says something that you're like, that's not true, right? You know it. Has anybody been there? No, maybe a few. Oh, see, only three of us have had that experience. Um, <laughs> But, you know, you, you've been in that experience and you're like, should I say something? Should I not say something? You know, and, and sometimes um, we don't say anything. And then we, you know, later on, I know I've, my wife and I, we've come home and we're talking about it. And we're like, oh, man, I should have said something here. Oh, man, I, you know, and we don't say it. And we like realize, man, we should have said something. We should have said something. I want us to say something. And I want us to have courage to say something. So um, let's start with a couple verses in the Bible that are going to lay the foundation for today, okay? So John 3.20, it says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. And then I want to look at Ephesians 5.11. It says, Have nothing to do with the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. So it's clear that people are doing wicked, evil things. People that are doing those things fear the light. You know, light means kind of bringing something out in the open. Okay. And people fear that. People that are doing deceptive things. People engaging in deception want to sow lies and they want to stay in the shadows. They don't want it to come out. They want to just, man, let me just stay in the shadows, kind of moving the, moving the balls, not moving the... 
As followers of Jesus, though, we're to live in the light and call and called on to expose lies. Okay, so these verses are, I think, are very simple. Our job as followers of Jesus are to stay. It's not to it's to stay away completely from associating from deeds of darkness. That's important. We always kind of think like that, like, hey, I'm going to stay. I'm not going to do that. If they do that, that's okay. Or if other things are happening to other people, that's okay. But for me, I'm not going to do that. But here it's telling us, it says, but instead even expose them. Okay. So it's not just saying don't associate or stay away with it, but it says expose them. And expose means make visible, reveal the true nature. So we're exposed the deeds of darkness. That's a little bit higher level. It's, you're supposed to bring them out, tell our friends, neighbors, communities. That's like, that's a, like a lot, a different level. And that's not just for me and my family and friends, but it's a greater responsibility, a responsibility to our greater community. And I, I believe that that takes courage. That takes courage to do that because it's like, man, do I really do that? Put myself out there. I might lose friends. I might lose influence. All these things. Um, So this morning, I want to tell you a few stories of people exhibiting courage in seemingly difficult and hopeless situations. I'm going to tell you a story from the Bible. I'm going to give you a story from Czechoslovakia or Czech, Czech Republic. And I'm going to give you a story from Riley County. So I'm going to give you three stories, all that give you stories of courage, and one close from that's pretty close to home. Okay, so I want, I want, and I hope that these stories will gain you'll gain strength to push back the lies that bombard you daily. And I want to start with the story of two women who decided to show courage and push back against lies, propaganda, and potential genocide being propagated by a king. And so I'm going to look at a not a super well-known story in the Bible. In fact. I want to ask, has anybody ever heard of Shifa and Puya? Anybody? One, two people. All right. So there's two people that have heard of these ladies. Well, these ladies played a very important role in the Bible, but they're not, not, no, not many people talk about these ladies and their courage. So let's look. Let's start. The story starts in Exodus 1.8. It says, Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. And the Israelites were God's people. Um, Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. Then verse 11. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for, for the Pharaoh which you could say, just let's assume that that's this king. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter and harsh with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. So let's get a little context. Many of God's people had moved to Egypt during a time of like famine and starvation. I know that seems very, maybe, maybe odd for us, a time of famine or where there's no food and starvation. Some parts of the world still have that today, but obviously in America we have, there's a lot of food available. But th- these people, these Israelites had moved to Egypt during this time, during a time of famine and starvation. And this guy, Joseph, who had been, if you don't, haven't, don't know much about the Bible, he, this guy Joseph had a lot of brothers, and he kind of was a little bit of a show-off sometimes. And so he was sold into slavery by his brothers to, into Egypt. 
But um, because of the way he was a hard worker, he had God's favor on his life, he ends up going from literally a slave to imprisoned to second in command of all of Egypt. Okay? So, and, and, and during that time, the, the, he was second in command. His people fared very well. The Israelites fared very well. Well, for a, and for a while, the Israelites and Egyptians, they coexisted. They were fine. Everything was good. No trouble. Everything was good. Soon, though, a new, came, a new king came to Egypt, right? This new pharaoh. And it says in, in that verse, if we, if we remember the verse, said Joseph meant nothing. Or in other versions of the Bible, it says he did not know Joseph. So while Joseph was alive, the king, Joseph, all the Israelites, all the Egyptians are all getting along. Everything's cool. This new king comes in place and he's like, man, I don't know who this Joseph dude is. I don't know who the heck, who cares? This, so he says this means he didn't know Joseph's people or his God. And therefore he looked at the Israelites with fear and suspicion and saw them as a threat. So the king stirs up his people, the Egyptians, with this smear campaign. Look at what he says about him. If we were attacked by our enemies, these growing number of Israelites will likely join sides with our enemies. We would be crushed. There's nothing in the Bible that tells us they were at odds. There's nothing that they're just growing. There's just a growing population. This king seems very insecure, right? Um, and then this fear messaging starts to shift the opinion. He tries to shift the opinion of the Jewish people among his own people. And people start to buy in in the king's narrative and they begin oppressing and discriminating the Jewish, against the Jewish people. The, the, the king attempts to limit the growth of the Jewish people or the followers of God who only seem to grow in number by dehumanizing them in systemic ways. Slavery, forced labor, oppression. And these attempts, however, don't seem to make a difference to keep them down. They, they don't seem to make an, you know, they just keep growing. These people just keep growing. But this king is basically dividing people. Instead of, hey, man, we're a strong nation working together. Man, this is awesome. We got all these Jewish people. We got all these Egyptian people. Let's work together. Let's do some great things. Man, we're going to take over the world. Man, we're going to see human flourishing, life, excitement. Man, this could be good. He's sowing division. Sowing division. Let's, man, let's make these people our slaves. Let's just work. Let's work them to death. But what God's people continue to multiply and grow. You know, all this, when I was reading this, it reminds me of some of the deceptive and fear-based messaging kind of maybe we've heard in the last two or three years, even from our own government leaders and from situations going on in the world. And it's like, are we awake to hear some of these things? Because this is similar to what this king was doing. How about this week? So I don't know how many of you have seen this viral video that's gone on. There was a mom that was speaking up at her school board meeting. But there was a school district in California, a school that, a district that was going to have a Halloween party. Anybody hear about this? Maybe? A few people? Maybe? They were going to have a Halloween party. And they said during the Halloween party, one of the highlighted events, get ready for this, a family-friendly drag show. Now, let's think about that. Let's, let me think. Everybody know what a drag show is? If you don't, I'm not telling you. You can go figure it out later. But wait, let's just say the words. Family-friendly drag show. Okay. Okay. That, do you think any, there's any deceptive language there? Family-friendly drag show. Sponsored 
by a gender reassignment surgery center and a, at a, and a popular gay nightclub. Okay. You have to be alert and be thinking, wow, this is, when I get the flyer that says Halloween Boo Bash, and one of the events is a family-friendly drag show sponsored by a gay nightclub and a transgender reassignment surgery, I have to be like, wait, my kid's not going to that, for one, and maybe I should talk to the school board. Well, this mom went to the school board because the school board, nobody listened in the school, so she went to the school board, and if you want to go see an interesting viral video, it's really awesome what she did and what she says about this, but it's a two, two or three minute video. Fantastic. But you, hey, are we awake though? We have to be awake to see that that's something that we can stand up and have courage and go to our school board and say, that's not okay. I'm not saying that that's happening in Manhattan, Kansas, but it could, it could. Or uh, in Kansas in August, we had the, if you don't vote on the value them both referendum, there'll be back alley abortions all over the place and women will be dying. Okay. I heard that during the campaign. I heard that that would be happening if I didn't vote no. So you have to think. You have to be a thinking person here. Or some government officials were saying, trying to divide unvaccinated and vaccinated people. I remember a, a quote coming from the government. For the unvaccinated, we are looking at a winter of severe illness and death. Get vaccinated. Hey, I don't care if you're vaccinated or not. But that's sowing division, correct? It seems to me to be sowing division. Um, one of the more recent ones, if we don't give Ukraine a lot of money, the Russians are coming to our doorstep. Okay, well, what if we just, the Ukraine was left and it was a Europe problem and they stayed in Europe and Russia decided to figure it out. I'm not saying that that's what we should do. I'm just saying like, this is sowing like, well, you're holding me hostage here. I have to give money to the Ukraine? Like, okay. Or defund the police. Maybe not a good thing to do, probably, if we see some of the big cities around the country right now. Looks pretty bad in some of these cities. So we have to be thinking when you hear messaging and narratives coming out. We have to be like, what is, is this sowing division or is this sowing human flourishing? And in my community, our job is not to the world necessarily. Our job is to our community first. So in our community, if you see that they're having a family-friendly drag show at Manhattan High, maybe we should go speak up and have courage in our community. Maybe that's what we have to do. So the, listen to this. So this is what happened. These messages are deceptive, propaganda, and outright lies that can really divide people. And it's an attempt by sometimes to government officials to shift the opinion of people. It's an attempt to get widespread buy-in to a view that maybe discriminates, separates, segregates. It uses deceptive messaging to promote things that limit human human flourishing. And that's contrary to the kingdom message that promotes human flourishing. And, the, and it was the same thing that was being done by this king in the story. So let's go on. It says the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, so he's, whose names were Shifa and Puya, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. Oh, wow. Now he's going, not only is he enslaving these people, now he's saying, man, I'm not satisfied making slaves of these people. We're going to kill these Jewish people. And he now commands the Hebrew midwives to commit a genocide on the, on the boys. Kill all the baby boys. 
These are your own people. Kill all the baby boys. The king's dislike and prejudice against the Jewish people pushes him to take a drastic measure to ensure these outsiders do not one day take over the land and these two midwives are at a, at a point like they're going to have to make a decision here. This is serious. The king's telling them, hey, you got you to gotta do this. Under government authority, Shifa and Puya are enlisted to participate in the extermination of Hebrew baby boys to bring death to the world around them. Now, the text does read that these women were, um, they're, they're, they were Jewish midwives. Okay, that's what they say. Some scholars say they could have been Egyptians because why would the king not put... Jewish midwives in there because maybe, you know, but it says in the Bible, it says Hebrew midwives. So um, they were likely very trusted in their community. You know, women whom families trusted to take care of them as they navigated the process of childbirth. You know, we had a midwife for when my wife was pregnant with our kids. Um, You know, midwife's primary role, from what I understood, I obviously I'm not as connected to the midwife as my wife was, but was to usher in life, regardless of status, race, or any defining division, was to assist, guide, and protect life. In this, in this culture, uh, midwives were often thought to be women who couldn't have children themselves. So they were often pushed to the edges of society. Back then, if you weren't married or you, didn't, you couldn't have kids, you were kind of like, I'm going to say an outcast, but you were not in the in crowd, per se. So the king is quite strategic with his newest attempt to limit the growth of the Hebrews. He knows that these midwives were the touch point to life or death. And he says, choose death. He tells him, choose death. And I can imagine that Shifa and Puya run through a couple scenarios in, the mind, here, in their mind. Here's what I would be thinking and if I were them. Either we are courageous and we say no to the king. We refuse to follow the king's orders and we likely die. And likely any of our friends and family will also die. Or we aren't courageous. We say yes to the king. We follow the king's orders and by the work of our own hands, bring death to the next generation of Jewish boys. Well, let's see what they decide. Let's look at verse 17. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? And I love their response. It's kind of almost like witty around their feet. Maybe they had time to think about it. But the midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. So he kind of stabs a little stab at the Egyptian women there. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives even arrive. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Isn't that awesome? They they choose life. They are courageous. And then it says the midwives feared God. He gave them families of their own. He rewards them for making the right decision. They let the boys live. They're willing to lay down their own lives so that others could live, which is kind of in some ways a foreshadowing of the coming Christ, who truly did lay down his life so that many who were headed towards death could live instead. You know, thankfully, these midwives seem to know another way to build courage deep within their spirit. Um, If we look back to verse 17, it says they feared God. They feared God. The midwives revere and love and trust their God and the courage they dip into is God's because they believe that he is truly with them. 
The belief in God seems to be a way of harnessing courage. And it seems as though it isn't only found in this one high stakes, high, high stakes moment with the king, but it's been built and developed over their lives. This has been a pattern for them. You know, the thousands of moments where they offer their laboring and birthing, birthing mothers cool washcloths for their foreheads. Maybe where they held a mother's hand. I know that's, remember, my, the, the midwife would hold my wife's hand. During, I was holding one hand. The midwife was holding the other hand during the birth. Um, where they listen, to, listen for heartbeats. Where they root for life with their encouraging words like, yes, push. Just a little more. You're almost there. The baby is coming. These times of being so intimately close to life and so close to God rewire our pathways to see God and life as one. Beyond political or authoritative decrees or external circumstances that try to inject fear. For Shifa and Puya, these moments compile and develop a courageous heart. One that doesn't, doesn't filter with external factors, life or no life, or Egyptian or Hebrew, male or female. Instead, the passion for justice and care for all humanity comes from a posture of fear of God. Fearing God helps them see beyond. That courage is far more than a choice of saying yes or no to the king. It is instead about saying yes to life with God. It's saying, I will live for God over man. These midwives are courageous. They're divinely defiant. Man, they choose God over man. Man's, man threats, man's threats. Man, forget that. Forget that. We're going to be courageous because we fear God over man. Their heroic bravery and their refusal to kill baby boys. And I think they're so clever in their explanation to the king of why baby boys were being born. When they said that they're so, these Hebrew women are so strong and vigorous that, they're birth, that they're, they birth their babies before we can arrive. This is actually courageous and smart, their little comment here. Together they honored the Lord by their regard for human life. Together they saved a generation of Israelites and gave hope to a frightened, oppressed people. And if you know the later story, it sets the stage for the liberation of an entire people from Egypt um, and the king. But the subtle, subtle courage that let them say, I fear God, that type of courage, that is developed over time. And it doesn't, it doesn't sound that bold or significant in these verses, but it is. It is. And that, I think their courage is developed over time. And our courage has to be developed over time. You know, maybe you're a student and you've got to develop courage now. But maybe you have to speak up sometimes, maybe in your classroom. Maybe you have to speak up with your friend group. Sometimes they say things that, man, that's not right. You need to speak up. And this is how you practice for later when you have bigger things. These women have been practicing all their lives. And they said, man, I fear God. I don't care what people think of me. I'm, I'm going to fear God over anything else. And they, and they did this. They did this. You know, and I think that is a version of courage that we should want in our own lives and what I want us to develop more of. I don't know this for a fact, but I wonder if their courage to say, I fear God, ends up giving the king's daughter and Moses' sister and Moses' mother the courage to protect him, hide him, and find a nurse for him. You know, during all this courage that they're showing, Later on, if you know the story, Moses is born, Jewish boy, supposed to be killed. 
And his mother would remember this little story. They put him in a little basket in the river, right? The, the king's daughter finds him. Okay, I need somebody to nurse him. Oh, here's this lady. He ends up being, you know. Anyways, all these people are in the mix, right? And they're all living in this time. And they see the courage that these, um, these midwives had. And he, he goes on, ends, on, ends up going on to deliver this nation uh, from the nation of Israel. And it's interesting to note that... Um, Shifa and Puya did not for one minute wrestle with the immorality or unethical moorings of the king's edict. It's wrong, period. Their faith told them this. And God is not about destroying life. He's not about destroying life. He created and continues to create life. Therefore, he highly values life, all life. And so did Shifa and Puya. What Pharaoh told him to do went against God's values, which they held as their own, and they chose to protect the lives of those who could not protect themselves, in this case, the unborn. In Proverbs 31, 8 and 9, it says, to open your mouth for the speechless in the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth for the speechless in the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. Again, these unsung Bible hero, biblical heroes did not know this verse yet they exercise it in their own brave and fearless way. And we are called to do the same for the people that can't speak for themselves. Maybe they don't have the courage themselves, and maybe we have to have courage for them. Maybe they don't know what to do, and you can give them you know, input and wisdom and give them the courage that they need. I want to um, shift gears a little bit and, and tell you a story um, Another story of courage, and I want to read some expert, ex- excerpts from an essay titled The Power of the Powerless by Václav Havel, who's a Czech, a Czech dissident and later became president of, of Czech Republic, and also an excerpt from the book entitled Live Not by Lies, A Manual for Christian Dissidents by Rod Dreher. And um, this is in communist times, Soviet Union, and I'm going to read you these, these, uh, this little story. And... Uh, it's a little long, and I know it's going to be, there's a little, but just stick with me, and it'll be an interesting story. Um, so I'm going to read a little bit. Consider, he said, the case of the green grocer who posts a sign, and this would be in a communist time period, communist time frame, of the green grocer, meaning a grocery store, who posts a sign in his shop bearing the well-known slogan from the communist manifesto, workers of the world, unite. He doesn't believe in it. He hangs it in his shop as a signal of his own conformity. He just wants to be left alone. His action is not meaningless, though. The Greengrocer's Act not only confirms that this is what is expected of one in a communist society, but also perpetuates the belief that this is what it means to be a good citizen. So we have an individual who owns a grocery shop, doesn't believe that in what's going on in the country, but to stay out of harm's way, I'm just going to put the sign up. I'm just going to, you know, by putting that sign up, I can stay quiet. I don't have to say I promote it or anything. But in a sense, I'm going to say, hey, I'm okay with it. I'm just silent. I'm, I'm Switzerland. That's what I'm supposedly saying here. Okay. Now, I know my friend Macy back there. She is not Switzerland. She takes a position, an opinion on most things. I really enjoyed, uh, I'll, I'll just say this. She went to Poland with me this summer. She was one of the people that got to go to Poland. And man, you always know what's on Macy's mind. She tells you. And even if it's, even if it's, um, if it's something you don't want to hear. And I appreciate that about Macy. That's one of the things I love about Macy is her um, truth-telling. 
Um, anyways, let me go on. Sorry, Macy. Shout out to Macy out there. All right. All right. Here we go. Havel, Havel goes on. Let us now imagine that one day something in our greengrocer snaps and he stops putting up the slogans merely to ingratiate himself. He stops voting in elections he knows are a farce. He begins to say what he really thinks of political meetings, and he even finds the strength in himself to express solidarity with those whom his conscience commands him to support. In his revolt, the green grocer steps out of living within the lie. He rejects the ritual and breaks the rules of the game. He discovers once more his suppressed identity and dignity. He gives his freedom a concrete significance. His revolt is an attempt to live within the truth. Now, he, here he's making, he's taking a stand that's contrary to everything that's going on around him. He gets rid of the sign. He's now actually maybe taking a step to step in the camp of, man, I'm not going to live like this anymore. I'm going to be courageous and live out in truth. Okay? So he's taking a step to get out there, stand up for the people, stand up for, with the people that are trying to say, hey, this is deceptive. This is propaganda. This is lies. I'm going to stand with these people. Let's see what happens. This costs him. He loses his shop. He loses his salary or his salary is cut and he won't be able to travel abroad. Maybe his children won't be able to get into college. People persecute him and or persecute him and those around him, not necessarily because they oppose his stance, but because they know that this is what they have to do to keep the authorities off their backs. The poor little green grocer who testifies to truth by refusing to mouth a lie suffers. But there is a deeper meaning to his gesture. So this man takes his stand, and this is what happens to, this could be a woman, sorry. They, it could, they take a stand, and this is what could happen. This is what happens. It costs him. If you take a stand, it could cost you. You may lose something. When people took a stand, maybe against mandates, it cost them their job. It costs them. It maybe costs them a career. When somebody says something on Twitter that maybe the people in the Twitter sphere didn't like, they get canceled. And then maybe it, they get outed. And then maybe they lost their job or they lost their platform or they lost their followers, whatever the, okay? When you take a stand and maybe say, take a stand aside for truth, you may, it may cost you. If you take a stand for Jesus, it may cost you. I was telling somebody this morning, I met for breakfast, somebody here early this morning, and we were talking about, we did a God's Not Dead event in, in Lawrence, and we had 650 people come to this event in this lead center auditorium. It was really great. Um, but during the weeks leading up to it, the Call to Greatness team was passing out flyers all over the campus. Well, as the weeks were getting closer to the God's Not Dead event, the opposition got firmer and firmer. And actually, so we would have guys, there was one story that uh, one of our guys was out passing out these flyers. All it said is, God's not dead, come here, you know, scientific evidence, blah, 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 lead center, this time, whatever. There was people that would be assigned to our people, and they would stay there, and I would go to give 
Hema a flyer, I'd give Hema the flyer, and then the person would come next to Hema and say, don't go to this event, it's so full of lies, Jesus isn't alive, he's dead, blah, blah, blah. And they would sit there and berate the person, and then the people would be like, hey man, why are you so mad about this? This is so, I'm gonna go to this, because why are you so opposed to this? So this guy, one day, this guy at the engineering building, stayed next to one of our Call the Greatest guys, the whole time he was passing out flyers, I think he went through like 200 flyers. The guy stayed with him the whole day until he was done with his flyers, just saying, hey, you shouldn't go to this event, God's dead, don't worry about that, you don't need to do this. Opposed the heck out of him. So after he's done passing flyers, the guy was like, hey man, you wanna go to lunch? We had a fun time, you know, passing out flyers, you were opposing me the whole time, you wanna go to lunch? The guy came to lunch with him. We had lunch together and it was really great, actually. Um, he still didn't come but to the event. But, but, you know, it's like, look, Man, if you stand for things that are of Jesus, of, you stand for the Bible, you stand for biblical truth, you're going to face opposition, okay? And that's okay. That's all, that, man, that's sometimes, man, that's, that's great. Um, and, and so while, while the guy, actually the, the, the call to greatness guy, he was like, man, I appreciated having this guy. I was thanking him at lunch. Like, thanks for creating so much of a stir. You helped. You guys, especially when you do like on, on air, open air preaching and stuff, like you, when you get people that are opposed to you, it actually is really good because it draws a crowd because people are yelling back at you and you can talk with them and kind of give them witty responses back and forth. And it actually is good to have opposition. Yeah. In this case, it really helped to have opposition. So he's like, man, I'm going to take this guy to lunch. He helped me, you know? So it was great. So let's keep going with the, with the green grocer. So the green grocer, by breaking the rules of the game, he has disrupted the game as such. He has exposed it as a mere game. He has shattered the world of appearances, the fundamental pillar of the system. He has upset the power structure by tearing apart what holds it together. He has demonstrated that living a lie is living a lie. He has broken through the facade of the system and exposed the real base foundations of power. He has said the emperor is naked. And because the emperor is, fact, is in fact naked, something extremely, extremely dangerous has happened. By his action, the greengrocer has addressed the world. He has enabled everyone to peer behind the curtain. He has shown everyone that it is possible to live within the truth. When you stand up against the truth, many times the opposition crumbles. The people see, you, you allow more people to see behind the curtain. You allow more people to see, wait a second, that's not, wait, let me think here for a second. That doesn't make sense. Wow, I've been believing that? Man, that was dumb. I need to, man, this guy, this, man, this guy's doing something right here. You see that it's possible to go against the grain. And so what happens, this guy, this guy Havel, who did this, so let me tell you, he writes this, this power of the powerless, ends up, he goes to jail. He gets sentenced, I think, Four and a half years for writing this essay. Seemingly, look at this essay. It's just a little essay about, you know, undermining this fake government, right? And he goes to jail for four and a half years. What it does, though, this small act of rebellion can act like a spark of a revolution that saves liberty and humanity. Okay? Havel was imprisoned for four and a half years for writing this essay for the crime of subversion a subversion, basically undermining government. Because he exhibited courage by bringing light to the government's lies, it ignited something in the people. They rose up. After he was in prison for four and a half years, he gets out of prison, 
Six months later, during this whole time, he gets out of prison. Their revolution is sparked up and it skips going. Six months later, he's president of the country. Pretty amazing, just by writing a little, little pamphlet essay that, man, the government is lying to you guys. Wake up. He goes to jail. And the people, it sparks something, and the people start kind of getting mad, and they topple the government. And guess who they want? They want the guy that actually wrote, the, wrote this essay. Man, I want you to be president. Because, man, you obviously saw something. You were awake to this. Man, you're a leader that you were willing to do that and suffer for four and a half years in prison. We want you to be our leader. That's a, that's a lot of courage. A lot of courage. Let's talk about another story of courage just locally here. Riley County. Recently, um, there was a teacher that um, there was. A, so let me back up. There was a policy at the school in Riley County where, if a child was deciding to go, wanted to be called by different pronouns, or was ready to undergo a reassignment in transgender surgery, the teacher could not tell the parent their preferred pronoun or that they were transitioning or say like so basically they were trying the kid was trying to be one person at school and then one person at home the teacher had to call them their preferred pronoun at school and then when they talk the teacher talks to their parents at the parent teacher conference or if they see them at the football field they have to call them by their regular name but they call them their preferred pronoun at school and they know that there's they're going through a surgery all parents don't they don't they don't have to tell the parent well this teacher christian lady in Riley County, right here, said, that's not okay. I am not gonna lie to the parents. I am not, this is wrong. I should not have to do that. Well, she has to make a decision, right? Just like these midwives. So if I come out and say this, I'm gonna lose my job. If I don't wanna, if I don't wanna do this policy, I'm gonna lose my job, lose my income. I possibly then could lose my house. I could lose whatever, my, my, I might not be able to get another job. There's a lot of things she has to put out there when she's thinking about making this decision. But if I do make this decision, this is living in truth. This is wrong that I have to lie to the parents who have a 14 year old. I have to lie to these parents and say that their kid is all normal, everything's great. Um, that violates my conscience and my Christian faith. I'm not okay with that. So she decides to file a lawsuit against Riley County School Board or the school district. She files the, the lawsuit and she wins. Just, this has just happened two months ago, guys. She wins $100,000. She beat the system and guess what Riley County says? They got rid of the policy the next day after the, after the um, lawsuit. So they, have to, they end up having to pay $100,000. And then, now what do you think this does to all the other school districts in the area? Right. Wow, if we have this policy on the books, we better get rid of this policy because it's going to cost us money. It's going to be bad PR for us. It could cost us teachers. A lot of things there. But this one lady had to be courageous. This one lady had to be willing to say, you know what, I'm not going to be okay with that. I'm not going to be okay with that. So you, we see that there's ways for us to be courageous today in, our, in the here and now. 
when we're with friends and we hear something or you, your city's trying to do something. I think recently the Manhattan had some other issue go on about funding of some organization, and I know that was defeated, and it, some citizens didn't like it, and they thought it was not good, and they, they fought it. I'm, I'm just telling you there's times at campus at, at, in the city in your county that you can fight right here locally that you can be courageous and now more than ever i think we need we need to we need to have courage the, the world is at man it needs people that have courage i mean i i live in lawrence guys i mean have some grace for me be mercy because it's tough in lawrence it's here's here's rough but nowhere near as rough lawrence has some there's some interesting stuff i could tell you the stories of some people have some interesting thoughts um, anyways, um, so we're fighting. I'm trying to fight in Lawrence. I'm doing the same thing that I'm telling you guys to do here. I mean, I'm at school boards. We're at, we're at uh, city commissions. We're trying to do these things. And um, I feel in some ways my city is run by communists. So I'm trying to fight that uh, constantly. Anyways, when we read the story of Shifa and Puya, the greengrocer, and the Riley County teacher, we can't help but wonder if we would do the same in the face of adversity and tyranny. If my kids were in that school in California, would I be willing to get up and go fight for them um, in, that, in that situation? Would, would I refuse to go along with the falsehoods or, stay, and, or, and, or just stay silent? Like I talked about the green grocer in the beginning. He stayed silent. Will we speak up and expose deception? Are we looking for opportunities to stand up for others who are being mistreated, oppressed, taken advantage of, lied to? Something doesn't make sense. Like, man, son, hey, somebody tells you a story. Man, that's not right. That shouldn't be. Ha- Have you investigated that? that but are we saying that to people? Look, we're called to be courageous. We need to believe that our everyday posture of exposing and heralding truth in spaces where only deception, propaganda, and death look apparent will produce change somewhere down the line. You know, because we fear God. I want to go that. Because we fear God more than man. That's, the, that's, the, that's what gives me a lot of courage a lot of times. It's like, you know what? Uh, I have to speak the truth here because I fear God more than man. If man doesn't like me, okay. Uh, there's enough people that don't like me in the world. It's okay. It's okay, you know? Sometimes I have to make decisions, and I know in the position that I am, that I'm in, I have to make decisions that people don't like. And people are mad for a little while, you know? But then later on things subside and realize, you know, maybe that was a good decision. You know, maybe I'm sure I made bad decisions too. I've made plenty, but you know what? We have to make tough decisions sometimes. And God may be training you right now to make, to have to go and speak and have to be courageous. Perhaps our role is akin to the role of a midwife to share, to cherish, cherish other life as our own, to stand right where we are in our jobs, in our classrooms, in our, and our roles that we play in life and reclaim those places, turn them into places where courage lives and it flourishes. This is our, those are the places that we reside. Well, that's where we got to be. Maybe it's on your teams. You know, maybe it's in your classroom. Maybe it's in your clubs that you're in. Maybe it's in your home. We got to turn these places into where courage lives and flourishes and to keep alive courage in the midst of ever-present darkness. You know, I, I want to I just want to end with that. Just like, hey, look, I, I'm just I want us to have courage. You know, I want us to live in courage and be courageous in this world that is just saying, be quiet. Stop. Don't say anything. 
Just be quiet. Don't ruffle any feathers. Because if you do, man, that's going to, you know, it could be bad for you. It could be bad, you know. Many times, the people that actually stood up and said something, it may be tough initially. Then they flourish. They, they actually ends up being really good for them that they spoke up. But it was a deception. They were like, oh, man, just be quiet. Don't say anything. Don't do it. Well, because they were courageous. They were rewarded for that courage, you know. And so that's why I, I, I so appreciate it. I love it when people are just, and they are who they are, and they're truthful, and they're just out there. I'm going to say something, and, and might be, it might offend you, but, it's, it, but, it may be, but it is truth, maybe, and that's good. We need people like that. So don't, don't, you know, if somebody comes to you, I just want you to, this is just an aside, but if my friend Bo comes to me, and he's, man, Bo's a good friend of mine, and he comes to me, and he says something, hey, Rich, man, you're really selfish, and you should, man, you need to blah, 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 blah. He knows, if he knows me really well, and he says that to me, you know, I could be like, whatever, bro, so leave me alone, don't ever talk to me again, don't even, don't say that kind of stuff to me. I could, we could have that attitude, right? We could have that attitude. But my guess is, and if Bob is going to say that to me, he's probably thought about it a long time. He's probably like, man, should I tell Rich that? Like, that could be really hurtful to him. He might be really offended. He might, man, I, I as a person, need to, like, give this guy, man, you really see that in me, bro? Like, man, all right, let me think about that. Like, that's really, man, thanks for the courage to, like, tell me that. Like, we, if we had that posture, man, that could be so good because they may be telling you something that's really true. And you, because of your, don't want to hear it, or I'm offended that you would say that to me. And that took a lot for them to say that to you, probably. You know? So, let's go out and have courage. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for these stories of courage of these midwives, Father God, and um, the story of, the, of the Mr. Havel and, and this teacher in, in Riley County. Father, we just thank you for those uh, um, just examples of courage of living out, Father, believing, living for truth, living for, standing for, your, for you and your word, and choosing life and human flourishing over death and darkness and deception, Lord God. Father, we pray, I just pray right now, Father, that we would have a fear of God, a fear of you, Lord God, more than a fear of man, Lord God. That we would just fear you, and Father, that we would try to live in truth as much as we can, have courage to be bold right where we're at in the, in the situations, in the life that you've put us right now, Lord God. And it looks different, Father. I know it looks different for all of us, Lord God. And I just pray that you would build that courage in us each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>
making decisions to follow Jesus. And there's, you'll have to ask her the details, but there's a story where she had a situation at work where she, the whole environment was, was advocating, kind of like the, the family-friendly drag show where she worked at the public library. And she spoke up and said, actually, I don't agree with that. I agree with this other position. And it's kind of funny, I had written a letter to the editor about this situation and it came up at the library and they started talking about this letter and bashing it and Emma was like, well actually that's my pastor. <laughs> and actually I agree with that. And it just like kind of stuck a bar in the whole spokes of the bicycle. Like, oh wait, we can't just go along with this. Like we have to deal with people that are thinking differently. And so there, and it's just like, wow, I mean, baby Christian Emma can do that. So can you, all right? <laughs> so, and it makes a difference. So as we do that, God, God meets us in that place, just like the Hebrew midwives, and he comes through. So I, man, just so excited about being part of people like that and being part of people who like me who are scared, but that as we fear God more, he meets us and he changes lives all around us. So God's doing impossible things. Let's trust him this week. And may you have a story this week of where you took courage and God met you in that place. So I want to hear some of those stories. Go out, have a great week. Let's, uh, let's take courage. Talk to you soon.